Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Chris. You know, there's a great saying, and the saying is, the person at the top of the mountain didn't fall there. And it's really interesting to hear that quote and then go, ah, I've got a busy day, uh, I've got a busy life, I've got a busy situation, I've got so much on, life's so hard, I even have to homeschool the kids, oh poor me, oh it's really difficult. And when you hear yourself talk like that, know that you've fallen to the bottom of the mountain, not risen to the top. The person at the top of the mountain didn't fall there because it just takes work. And that work is not simply going, I want to be at the top of the mountain. It's not a yoga class. It's definitely not meditation in the morning. To be at the top of the mountain, which is, let's call it for what it is, at the top of the mountain, you're a leader. At the top of the mountain, your kids want to emulate you. They say, I want to be like you, mum. I want to be like you, dad. The person at the bottom of the mountain, no kid on earth is going to say, I want to be like that. All stressed out and worried and angry and bitter and uh, strict and playing God in their own house. Nobody wants to be like that. No one wants to follow a stressed out, busy, uh, hyperventilating, unpleasant, unsmiling leader. The work to be smiling, not too busy, not overwhelmed. The work to be in a love-to place with your work, to be doing what you love and loving what you do and being paid well for it. This is work. And yet, if you ask a person to dedicate 30 minutes to doing just this, they say, I didn't have time today. I didn't have time. What was, the, what was so busy? Well, I had to watch the Netflix, you know, and then I had to uh, go and, uh, well, you know, I had to uh, listen to someone talk and I had to, uh, ooh, uh, ooh. and I understand life can be really, really, really frantic, but the person at the top of the mountain didn't fall there. And so many people say, I want to be at the top of the mountain. I want to be there. And yet, they expect to fall up there. It's not a, 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 a heaven-sent gift to all human beings to arrive at the top of leadership, to arrive at the top of family, to arrive at the top of life. It's work. And it's sometimes really, really, really hard to force yourself to get up, to force yourself to be generous, to force yourself. The person at the top of the mountain didn't fall there, and they didn't fall there, that's for sure. And they didn't get there on their first effort either. Sometimes they had to go down. The patience that was required to climb a mountain in real life in Nepal is unbelievable. You find, when I've gone there, you find people who spent six months and all their life savings to come and climb a new peak not just Mount Everest, but there's thousands of peaks, and some of them are very, very, very hard. They're very icy, and they're very slippery, and they're very vertical, and there's rock climbing involved, and people spend years preparing, and they get there, and it snows the day before, and they've just got to pack up and go home. All the way back home, 
and you see them, and the good ones, the really good ones, the ones from typically from Eastern Europe, the really good ones, are smiling just as much on the way down from a failed attempt as they were going up in preparation for attempt. That that's work. To be so uh, innately human that what you do is not as important as, as how you determine how you deliver yourself to the world. So I wanted to tell today just a little short story. And my little short stories usually go for a very long time. So uh, get yourself comfortable because here we go. When you go to Nepal, or Tibet, or Bhutan, and to a certain degree to India, the temples are the home of the sacred life of the community. So they have these places that do all the births, do all the, uh, the marriages, do all the deaths, do all the christenings. And they don't call it that, of course. They, they call them ceremonies. Sometimes even the monks dress up in a uniform, their lovely robes, and they walk 10, 20 kilometers up and down hills, all to get to a, a village, to go into a little house, to bless the house. And that's how the monks sort of make a living, I suppose you could say, pay the bills, the electricity bills, and put food on the table, the monasteries, or paint the monastery, which is continually being done. But if you walk into a monastery in any of these places, you could be an Islamic terrorist. You could be a thug, a, jail a jailbird. You could be uh, a high-powered executive who just ripped the guts out of some company. You could be a pauper. You could be a person who's going through incredible sadness or incredible joy from winning the lotto. They don't care. Now, I think you, you think a lot of people would hear me say that and think, well, that's not very nice. They don't care whether you're happy or sad. They don't care whether you're rich or poor. They don't care whether you're a, ter a bad person or a good person, a terrorist or not, or a jailbird or an executive. They don't care whether you work for a charity. They give it no credit, none. Because they believe in those temples in one thing, that there is a goodness in all humanity. And that's what they med meditate for. They meditate for the well-being of all human beings. They don't meditate for the well-being of those ones. They don't meditate for the well-being of those over in the corner. They don't meditate for the sad ones or the happy ones or the sick ones. They meditate for all human beings. And I think this is one of the things that we, living in the West, we miss. We miss the point because we say, <clears throat> I want my kids to be good or I want my kids to be happy or I want my kids to be smart or I want them to do their homework and our temple becomes polluted 
because we become we we create not a not a temple we create a prison where people have to behave in a certain way <clears throat> in order to get our blessing and i think every one of us needs to develop if, especially if you're doing the level of work we're doing on this podcast every one of us on earth needs to develop some form of philosophy that makes all people worthy of our respect all people worthy of our love all people worthy of our care uh, and not be saying if this person at work does what I tell them to and they do it on time I will give them my blessing but if this person even that one above me who's more senior behaves in a way that I think is worthy of my acknowledgement or respect or blessing I will give them uh, acknowledgement I will give them a reward a smile or a nod or a friendly gesture or I will even speak to somebody in the business and say wow isn't Mar Mary a great leader well, as long as Mary does what you want all the work you do on the human condition requires that you have uh, some form of belief that there is something generic in all human nature from the the worst of us in terms of our behavior to the best of us in terms of our behavior that there is a joy for example in every human heart that there is a goodness inside every human soul that there is a worthiness of love inside every human being <clears throat> the monks in their temple lead by example they they learn and they learn and they learn and they recite sutras and these sutras that they recite are basically the, the universal laws of nature uh, rewritten a thousand million times down into what do you do uh, what do you do if somebody shits on the floor in the middle of your carpet I remember sitting in a car with Sri K Patabi Joyce now a lot of people around the world got a bit angry with him because somebody after his death implied that during an open class where there were hundreds of people in attendance he touched women inappropriately in the class now I, I gotta say this is a very uh, mysterious sort of a accusation given that this is a public forum this there's no inference that he did anything behind the curtain nothing uh, done without they're saying in public in a public class he touched people inappropriately and nobody in the class thought it was inappropriate enough including the 200 people aware of what he was doing and the person doing it they're all victims and this guy was a perpetrator I gotta tell you that is an opportunity again for a, an evangelist someone with a religious slice down the middle saying all these people on the right I'm going to give credit to all these people on the left I'm going to label evil and the line between the two is really fluctuates depending on which state of America I was born in uh, <laughs> and this this sitting in the car with Shri K. Patapi Joyce I said to him something stupid 
and of course, sitting in a car with a guy of that, uh, and I was driving him around Sydney because we brought him to Sydney three or four times to give lectures at the uh, at the uh, Paddington Town Hall, and uh, he was a hilariously funny man when he talked. But if you sat with him in a car and we were waiting for I don't know the fish and chips to arrive, not really, but we were waiting for something, and I was sitting there with him and he's sitting in the passenger seat and I'm in the driver's seat. I said. Guruji, what do you do when you're feeling really um, disappointed about something? <clears throat> and this is typically how Guruji would answer. He would answer, which is Sanskrit. <laughs> okay, I didn't do that too well, but anyway, Sanskrit sounds like that to me. And he'd rattle off this great big long stanza in Sanskrit. So, and then he would say, oh, two cats, one dog, not good situation. So he, he, he didn't ever answer out of an opinion. He didn't ever answer out of his belief. He took the sutra, and he had, uh, which was part of his teaching. He was a professor of Sanskrit at the Mysore University, and he, like all monks in in uh, India and Nepal and Bhutan and Tibet and uh, 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 places where Buddhism is taught, have to learn the sutra. And the reason they have to learn it is because they don't want themselves to be making it up when they get asked a question. They go straight to the USB port, plug in the wire, and tap in to a pre-written script. Now, you're going to argue with me, where's free will in that? Well, there is none. They took it away. The purpose of taking it away is to stop us judging. It just basically says, well, there's a person with three heads, uh, uh, four testicles, and, uh, and a vagina on the back of their neck. And they will have a sutra to not judge that person, to explain why it exists, and to explain it from a holy point. And Sanskrit is not only a language uh, that was written a long time ago, it is a sacred language, and therefore it's a chant. And therefore, when you speak the words of Sanskrit, when it gets translated to English, it's rubbish. But when you speak and you hear someone speak in Sanskrit, what you hear is it's like an ancient hymn, an ancient hymn. That, or when you hear go into a church and hear a choir sing a hymn that's very old, hasn't been changed, and you hear the magic. You hear the magic and the sounds and the words and the vowels, and that becomes... Uh, uh, the vibration of that comes as important as the words. And so this USB plug, no matter what question you ever asked Patabi Joyce or whatever question I asked um, Rinpoche at Tengbeshe Monastery, who was the Dal one of the Dalai Lama's teachers, or when a young monk stayed with us in India, whenever you ask one of these people a question, 
they would pull the USB plug out and say, ah, the answer is. And you say, well, what do you think? And they go, doesn't matter. My knowledge is immature compared to the wisdom of the ages. And the wisdom of the ages was not designed to separate people into likable and unlikable. It wasn't designed to separate a child into lovable and unlovable. It wasn't designed to separate bosses and partners and colleagues at work into likable and unlikable, which is the ridiculous notion that is being heralded around the world with 360 degree feedback. What do you think about this person? It is so benign and so corrupt and so disappointing because what it's encouraging is encouraging the individual to individualize their opinion about other people, which of course is benign. It's ridiculous because we don't know other people. We only know what we meet in other people. We hardly even know ourselves, which is the purpose of the 30 day challenge to get to know ourselves and realize we are everything. And to realize that every boundary we put is a fiction, is a made up lie. So today, I'm going to encourage you to have some thoughts, to have some thoughts about what would be your metaphor, what would be your statement that in your temple made everybody on earth welcome. And it comes with a statement like, we, uh, as it is in Buddhism, believe in the well-being of all sentient beings. Now, sentient means an ant to a human, the well-being of all sentient beings. And therefore, that's it. And therefore, those who bypass our likability factor, who bypass our attractability factor. And so just to finish this off, and most of you who've listened to my podcast before have heard this story, is that I asked a monk one day when a French woman walked into the monastery with the shortest pair of hot pants that would even make Bondi Beach cringe. They were hot, hot pants, up the crack of her ass, a tiny little G-string at the back. Uh, at the front, it was pulled up so you could see where uh, uh, life began. And uh, she wore a tiny halter top with boobs bursting out everywhere and uh, kept the shoes on and that's how she was walking the Himalayas. And she walked into the monastery without even a single thought for the sacredness of the environment. And I said to the monks after she left, I said, whoa, how do you guys handle that? Wow, do you know, what do you do about that? And because I'm thinking, wow, how horny, they must be all horny. And they must be all, because they're young, and they must be like excited or judging it or criticizing it or condemning it. And they said, well, when we see a person, we see that every single human being on earth has a colon of some description where poo comes out. And we see that colon in every single human being. So every human being becomes in some way equal. And what they wear and what they do and what they don't do doesn't become the defining factor of them. Now, it's a really clever way of t debunking the idea that this sexual person who walked around in this attire was somehow unworthy of welcome. 
They had a philosophy from the sutra that allowed them to welcome everybody, not only the, the good ones and the praying ones and all the donating ones, but all the non-donating and the ones who pinched from the plate. <laughs> and I think today maybe it's time for us all to step back a bit and say, what's your defining belief about the human condition? Are you stuck in good and bads, in religious paradoxes? Or have you risen above that and gone, every human being has every human trait and the universal laws of nature say, if you see it in them, you've got it in you. And if you judge it in them, you're judging it in you. And what you judge in your children, you breed, attract or become. What you judge in yourself, you breed in your children, attract in a partner or become it. And so there's no avoiding. Whatever you're looking at in the world is just a mirror. And there's the kookaburra telling us it's time to finish. Have a beautiful day. Bye for now. Kookaburra. <laughs>